Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on June 25th, 2012. For newcomers, make use of the website CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. There's over a thousand audios for download for free. And remember to all the sites listed on the com have uh, transcripts as well for in English for, for prints up. If you want transcripts in other languages, go into AlanWattSentinel.eu and help yourself to the ones offered there. Remember, too, you are the audience that bring me to you. I don't bring on advertisers who are guests uh, who terrify you and sell you stuff and uh, save your life and all that kind of stuff. So it's up to you, the listeners, to uh, support me if you want to and buy the books and discs at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com and you can donate as well. Uh, you can remember from the U.S. to Canada, personal checks are still good and so are international postal money orders from your post office. You can use PayPal, you can send cash. Across the rest of the world, you've got Western Union, MoneyGram, and PayPal once again. But straight donations are awfully, awfully welcome. As we go through this massive change, which they call New World Order, Time of Transitions, uh, the Age of Change, uh, all that kind of stuff. Century of Change was a big term used in academia for the last 50 years because we're living through the big transformation. That's another term they use as well. Uh, as uh, The whole world goes under a global system, which they call governance because there's so many parts to it. It sounds better than government, you see. And there are various uh, groups involved and so many independent corporations involved, they make up this, what they call governance, this new feudal system that we're going through right now. And uh, planned a long time ago, the, some professors even who've had access to the archives of the Council on Foreign Relations, which is just the American branch uh, of the Royal Institute for International Affairs, to do with free trade, which also is to bind the countries together into blocks under a global government. Uh, they've come out themselves and said, oh, 50, actually, 1960s, they came out with this stuff and, and told us all about it then. And then you have the big players themselves and their histories to do with the Milner Group, the bankers and their sons that formed a, they were a secret service basically for Britain for a long, long time. They morphed into the Royal Institute of International Affairs and across the world their branches, as I say, are called Council on Foreign Relations, Canada is, is CG because they've got a different role, but it's the same group actually involved. They even got a group for the, all of the European Union politicians and the top guys there too. So they run the whole world now. The departments in India, you name it, they have them all over the world. Working for a 100 years to bring in this system, a socialist system it would seem to most people looking at it because they like the socialist model of, of big governments and lots of agencies to take care of the people. They believe that Darwin's 
ideas uh, merged with uh, eugenics have really, uh, and they're really the way to go, where they can train populations to behave responsibly and serve them better. In fact, I think it was um, Aldous Huxley said that the people will come to love their servitude because you, you won't know you're being conditioned, and you are. You've, you've been conditioned your whole life long. Uh, so are your parents and their grandparents too. They didn't know. They didn't know all of this was going on. And all media is part of this to do with the conditioning process, of course, as is your education. So you're living through the big transformation where the biggest changes of all really are within you yourself because your morality is plummeting uh, year by year uh, according to the verbiage and rubbish they turn out for entertainment is weaponized. It's weaponized entertainment. It has been for an awful long time, actually from the beginning in Hollywood, weaponized entertainment, where they knew they would take a hundred years to degrade society until it was completely dysfunctional. Uh, that was part of the war. So you're, you've all been living through it. You are living through it. And, of course, government comes in to pick up the pieces with more agencies and heavy police powers. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back cutting through the matrix and those who've listened for a long time know I tend to try, at least try, to go into old records uh, of the founders of this particular system we've been living under for an awful long time. The, the members themselves, of course, want, as, as I mentioned before, a global government and, and they were to base it on the British system that already had an empire. So the empire would kind of morph into a bigger empire under the direction of the United States that would, it would share responsibility and take over as policemen of the world. It isn't just policing the world, it's also all to do with the social in, uh, institutions they bring with them as they try and standardize the same system across the world where people think they have a democracy but in reality they're run by a, really a small, almost an oligarch really. And, um, and how they put the same central banking system in. And this was confirmed, as I, as I say, by Carol Quigley and others who uh, have got access as historians to the Council on Foreign Relations' own histories, their own personal histories, because they helped create the future and they can't tell the public right off the bat that they were behind so many things, to do, even wars, world wars, to unify the world. Remember, once you're, the wars are over, you're all on your knees, you're financially exhausted, physically exhausted, uh, run out of resources and everything, in massive debt. And then, of course, in comes the United Nations and says, well, we can't go on like this, let's have a global government. And these same boys set up the United Nations to do just that. And all of the umbrella organizations underneath them, right down to the big foundations, which they own as well, uh, which fund the massive armies of non-governmental organizations, which are really high-paid uh, liberals do nothings because they haven't ever had a job in their life who just go around from one meeting to the next talking about the big agenda and how terrible the world is and how it's just hand over all authority to them, basically. It's quite simple. But also, they also want to go into training all of the people, and they have done so very well, I would say, and all of the children as well, because they claim that everyone's mentally ill, except them at the top, you see, because they're, they're ultra-high liberal uh, globalists. They understand the agenda is part Marxist, and they love Marxist policies. They really do. They're really in love with Marxism, and they want to bring that about. Mind the mind, top Marxists themselves, remember, were multimillionaires and still are. 
So it's a very class system that pretends that it's classless. It's quite amazing, this double think and double speak that they go through. But they're trying to convince everyone that this Rio meeting, which just was a meeting, it was just a, a meeting where they all meet each other again and have a good booze up and, and a knees up and dance and all the rest of it and uh, with strippers or whatever you want really, uh, especially in Rio. And they, they chat to themselves, exchange cards to see who, who can help them up the, the ladder of success in their different careers. And... Um, Everything is done by the Sherpas. They call them the Sherpas. They're, these are high-level bureaucrats who work for years behind the scenes, going back and forth, getting everybody on board. They call it consensus building. They, they even have foundations which are, are dedicated just to sending out Sherpas to build consensus and get everybody on board. That's up-and-coming politicians. If they take, if they take the bait, you guarantee a great success as a politician, and you'll push the agenda. So it's all done years and years in advance. And articles are coming out now already, of course, which are misleading, making you think that the whole Rio thing was a flop. It was not a flop at all. Let's say all the, all the stuff that they've um, accomplished in the last 20 years, with bypassing all democracies and getting politicians and leaders just to sign things into law, they've done a tremendous job of getting exactly what they want. And, and that's why they're not pushing, at least in the media, so much uh, the next bunch of demands. They've already got them on the tables already before the meeting happened. They've had them on the tables of politicians for years. Based on an article that would kind of mislead you, it says, Delusion is a big problem with the green crowd. And it says that the draft text for discussion at Rio 20, the UN Conference on Sustainable Development, makes clear that the summit itself is a waste of energy and time. Even environmental non-governmental organizations attending it think so. That's to, that's to throw you off, actually, because, no, it's, it's always been a success. It doesn't matter as if God himself came down and says, you're all nonsense, you're all, it's all nonsense, all this carbon stuff and so on. It wouldn't matter. This is the world agenda. Because you see, at the top of the whole tree is the bankers, international bankers. They were set out there a long time ago to set up central banks in every country, private banks, and get the people down as the, the guarantors for all the loans they would give out to other nations. And then they were to come under the umbrella for, of the Bank for International Settlements. That's what it's all about. That was right in the, the, the records of the Council on Foreign Relations. So they've got everything they want pretty well. It says, Jim Leap, the International Director General of World Wildlife Fund, hoped that the document would be renegotiated. It's pathetic, he says, it's appalling. If this becomes the final text, the last year has been a colossal waste of time. Friends of the Earth are even stronger in their disapproval, calling for the plans, uh, calling the plans an epic failure. But it's not true at all, as I say. They've, uh, they, they, simply, they don't, they don't, at these meetings, they don't draft anything up, you understand. They're there just for a boost, as I say. It's all been done already, and a lot of this stuff is still getting signed into law by countries with, and bypassing congresses and parliaments and everything else. But, but it mentions here about delusions and how, and how, of course, they use crisis, which is true, this part's true, uh, how to, to, to get what they want. It says delusions take many forms, but the core symptoms of delusion are clear from the green movement. And it gives you a list. Persistent belief that something serious is happening. And actually, a delusion really is a fixed false belief, not shared by your peer group and, and, and not uh, proven by factual evidence. Anyway, it says, persistent belief that something serious is happening. It says, this has occurred over the last five decades as we've moved through the threat of the Ice Age, global warming, climate change, climate disaster, man-made natural disaster, another delusion, and the threat of sea level rise, flooding coastal cities around the world. None of that's happened, you know. 
I, I've even watched one of the old, uh, awful um, movies that were turning out in the 70s when the Club of Rome, which is the think tank for the UN, that came up with the idea of global freezing. And they were turning out all these ones which would all be freezing to death in the snow. And they're awful movies, but I'll, I'll try and remember the name tonight, and you can look it up yourself and have a good chuckle. And then, of course, they came up with the idea of global warming. Since freezing wasn't going to cooperate, they thought that the warming might, and that's been disaster as well. Disorganized speeches is just listen to Al Gore. While eloquent, he's also disorganized, confused, will not answer questions from the audience members unless the questions and the audience member have been vetted beforehand and will not respond to skeptical concerns. And that's true, you know, of all the, the things they're showing on television, even uh, parliamentary run-ups and so on, you understand uh, everybody in the audience has been vetted to get there in the first place, including what questions they'll ask but always presented as on, on the spot to the people out there. Feeling threatened. Warmists are threatened by evidence that their theory of CO2 causing warming is mistaken. So to protect their delusion, they adjusted data and increasingly rely on made-up evidence, also known as computer models, to justify their delusional beliefs. But remember, there's a big stake behind this because these so-called delusional beliefs are not just a happenstance thing. These are a necessary part to get this big agenda through of a world socialist system where you're, you, you won't get born unless they need you, literally. You will not be allowed to be born unless they need you. And they'll only need a certain no, a number of slaves for the years coming ahead. They've discussed all this at the top as well. Uh, so it says, Grandiose beliefs. Many in the environmental movement believe that they are the keepers of truth and wisdom. A major delusion. They can't accept that other views or evidence may suggest alternative understanding of either environmental issues or climate change. For example, the idea that the pursuit of profit is a way to end poverty and take care of the environment is something that they reject, despite evidence that this is how poverty reduction has occurred on an unprecedented scale over the last 50 years. Then they go on to manipulation of facts. Global temperatures are within normal ranges and haven't risen dramatically for over a decade, yet the delusionists are persuaded that global warming is occurring. One reason for this is the manipulation, technical adjustment of the evidence, and the other is the use of fantasy, also known as computer model data. When evidence is provided from actual observations of natural events, the delusionists will have an explanation. The use of the bogeyman for existence, uh, for instance. Whenever skeptical voices are raised about their delusions, uh, delusionists will make use of the bogeyman, which is big oil, the fo- fossil fuel industry, to try and discredit their adversaries. The fact that their delusions are also supported by big oil never occurs to them as a problem. Then there's safety and numbers. There are literally thousands who believe that the moon landings were fabricated, which is, I'm one of them, I think. Others are taking the, the view that homeopathy is based on evidence as, and is an effective treatment from the range of illnesses, despite repeated demonstrations of its ineffectiveness and non-scientific base. A large number of people believe that Jesus visited the Americas. It is actually a Mormon belief. Uh, so that the warmest delusionists meet frequently to reinforce their beliefs uh, just because hundreds of people believe something doesn't make it true. The key to delusion from a psychological point of view is that the person actually understands that their delusions or delusional beliefs are not true, but persists anyway. And then they give you a, clinic, a clinical definition. This is non-bizarre delusions are typically beliefs of something occurring in a person's life which is not out of the realm of possibility. For example, a person may believe 
Their significant other is cheating on them. There's someone close to them is about to die. A friend is really a government agent, etc. All these situations could be true or possible, but the person suffering from the disorder knows them not to be, uh, through fact-checking, third-person confirmations, and so on. It's very much like a, a religion, in other words. It's, um, it doesn't matter about facts or anything else. Religion is based on faith, you see, and faith is, is, is the belief system. And, um, and, of course, too, there's an awful lot of money. He doesn't mention that, too. It's, it's quite handy to be delusional when you're getting such big status. You know, you're getting status all over the world. And you've got a cushy job. You don't have to do any work, really. And, um, and you get a great salary when you retire. All these kind of things. Great benefits. So I'll put this up tonight uh, after the broadcast. Now, also, uh, so many things are going on. So many things are going on. And you wonder where to start. Where you can't even take photographs parents of their own children at school back after this break. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix, and what I mentioned at the beginning of the talk, how the culture industry is weaponized, it's always been weaponized because people came in to take over the thoughts and the fantasies of people, and started off with innocent stuff, and then pushed the envelope a little bit more, a little bit more, until you end up with this chaos that we call civilization today. And uh, and with it comes a whole bunch of uh, new normals, of course. You always get new normals given to you and things you're supposed to accept whether you like it or not or even uh, accept them even though you know it's dangerous to, to, to people's health or whatever. You just accept it and go along with it because you're told to and then you're ordered to eventually by your governments. Big agendas on the go. Until literally you're, you're, nobody's safe anymore. Nobody is safe uh, in a society that's been by warfare techniques brought down to utter chaos and dysfunction. So much so that even children, I mean, when I was small, children could go anywhere by themselves and nothing happened. I mean, nothing happened, believe you me. Anything that would happen once in a blue moon by this, the very lone individual was taken care of swiftly by the people themselves and the, the cops would st- stand by or stand away and they knew nothing about it, of course. That's how things were dealt with because societies had a long, long history of taking care of themselves and children. It's an, an innate thing that you have to, that you want to protect them because after all they represent you and, and everything to come. And if you destroy them mentally or in a way when they're young, uh, then society ends up being chaotic. So when the chaos itself is, is, is taught to be normal, uh, you end up with all this nonsense going on. Because you are under warfare and you don't know it. It's been an awful long war, you know. Awfully long. This is why do schools really stop uh, parents taking photographs of their children? Sue Rice got a shock when she opened her daughter's nursery yearbook to see the photograph of the smiling four-year-old. The eyes had been blacked out just like government secrets, you know, letters and so on. Sue is one of a group of parents affected by de facto photography ban at the primary school in the quiet area of Hertfordshire in England. started with a, a notice in the school newsletter saying that no photography was permitted at the nativity play, but that parents could buy a DVD for £12. 
uh, requests to take pictures had to be made in writing to the head teacher, but in almost all cases were refused due to the safeguarding of all children. So now you see, now the state that gives the new morality to the children, as uh, Huxley said, that was Julian Huxley, head of UNESCO, uh, they said eventually the state would give the new morality to the children because the, the parents with their old-fashioned ideas of taking care of children and keeping pervs away and all that stuff it, it's just uh, contaminated thinking, you couldn't pass it on so to break that and give a new morality to the children and uh, and then with all of the, the fallout that comes with it you end up with nonsense like this until no one, even the parents, can't see photographs of their own children that's the madness that's designed by the way you understand there are people who want to rule the world. They've been around an awful long time. And that's their mission. They're sworn to it. And folk don't even know that war has been going on for such an awful long time. And part of that war is to destroy all civilizations and then you take over and rule them. It's quite easy. And say such a blanket ban is relatively rare, but the issue of photographing, photographing children has become fraught in schools all over Britain. Ten years ago, nobody thought twice about photographing children on the football field. Now every click of the camera is overhung with a cloud of possible ill intent. Who's photographing that child and why? What will they do with the photo? The epitome of innocence. Parents recording their child's nativity play has become subject to the strictest regulations. Because, as I say, they've destroyed everything. They've destroyed man and woman. They've, destroyed, they've even altered the concept of man and woman. And, and they've got a lot further to go, by the way. They, they keep telling us that. But uh, uh, this is the nonsense that creeps up into society as you're being conquered, you see. Another article, too, is the beast. It says tracking you and your family just got a whole lot easier. And again, it was to do with the Verichip I mentioned last week. That came out in the 90s. Uh, lots of people talked about it because they wanted then to put it in everybody. Wendy Mesley, who is a Canadian interviewer, she on television, uh, she tended to get the juicy stuff that was coming up for the future. And she did a program on, in 98, I think it was, about that. And uh, she talked to um, the people who would bring out the clear past. This is, this is before 9-11, right? And she also talked to the guys that made the chip and these particular clear passes, your, your ID, your national ID card, uh, and where they made them. And she says, well, what makes you think the people will take this? And he said, because the public will be given no choice. And you think it's all to do with 9-11. It was on the go long before 9-11. 9-11 was just a necessary ingredient to make it all happen for an excuse. Kind of like the weather guys. You get, you get a rain shower and they say, oh, we're going to flood. We're going to have a flood. There's global warming. But anyway, it says that the verified chip measuring about the size of a grain of rice is implantable under your skin, making it possible for healthcare providers. This is to help you and other parties, that's the ones who want to track you, to instantly access your medical history and other personally identifying information. So I'll put that in there tonight too for those that want to go over it again, because these things don't go away, they just come back again. Now you find often too that those who manipulate the world are very, very good at this, um, will get you, they'll give you a story that sounds awful and people don't really say, oh, they should do something about that. You know, that's a, they want you to say, oh, somebody should do something about that. And they do. They pass bills and laws. And when the laws are passed, it's got nothing to do with what you thought it was in the first place. So this is with the defamation bill in Britain. Uh, it says it's a disaster for free, for free speech. It's a wolf in sheep's clothing, in other words. 
says watching free speech campaigners cheer the defamation bill as it glides through the parliament is a bit like seeing fox hunters celebrate the hunting acts. Back with more on this after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. We're back cutting through the matrix and talking about this new defamation bill, as it's called in Britain, and how it's disaster for free speech. And it says... um, that the bill reforms England's surreally authoritarian defamation laws in the wrong direction, making them more rather than less intrusive into the world of publishing and less rather than more democratic. It will make more of us potentially subject to punishment under the defamation laws and will further codify the state's authority to decide what it's okay for people to say and publish. It's a disaster for free speech. The bill was fought for by an anti-libel lobby. They just come out of nowhere. Suddenly they're all there. There's a made-up lobby, just like that, you know, made up of free speech activists, like it's a special sect, the religion, you know, this this free speech. I'm I'm an environmentalist, or I'm a free speech activist. And it's really to clamp down on your freedoms. That's what it's all about. And it says, also, scientists chipped in with the activists and championed by Justice Secretary Kenneth Clark. It makes some tweaks to the practice of defamation in England, so it will hamper, though not end, libel tourism, as they call it, making it difficult for wealthy foreigners to sue their detractors in London. Also, anyone who sues for defamation will have to show that the words they're complaining about caused them substantial harm, rather than simply harm to their reputations. And there will be a responsible journalism defense, where hacks can claim... Uh, they made their revelations responsibly and in the public interest. This means, however, that judges will decide what is responsible journalism, which will be bad for that tradition in journalism that considers itself irresponsible and nonconformist. Indeed, anyone, for anyone who doesn't think that a man in a wig, uh, in, a, in a court, I should say a gown as well as a wig, should get to decree what is decent and immoral in journalism. So it's a bill, really, which means the opposite of what you think it is, is to stifle free speech. And you'll get your new lexicon and a whole new dictionary of what's permissible and what isn't permissible, because that's the way we're going. Orwell knew this long ago, and so did all the top players, because they planned it long, long time ago. Uh, also, put up tonight, uh, the New World Order uh, blueprint leaked to do with the banking system and the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Now, you remember the first big trade uh, treaty, the biggest one that they signed was through the World Trade Organization uh, to do with where people who, who could invest in their other countries uh, couldn't be hampered by the laws of those countries. In other words, you could bring people in like they're doing in Australia uh, from uh, third world countries, pay them third world wages, uh, and um, regardless of the minimum pay of or wages of the country they're, they're getting shipped into. So they've done the same with the Trans-Pacific Partnership. And it's the same, pretty well the same thing, same bunch with the World Trade Organization, where they set up a star chamber of three judges who can decide who can trade with whom, who cannot trade, and all of this kind of stuff. It's not free at all, yet they call it free trade. Isn't that amazing? Everything is doublespeak, doublespeak. That's everything that you're reading today is doublespeak. 
It says, this uh, argument has been negotiated in secret for two and a half years and no information has ever been released until this leak. So why have the details of this negotiation been so secret? The agreement has been framed as a free trade Agreement, and yet out of 26 chapters, only two have anything to do with trade. The other 24 chapters grant new corporate privileges and rights while limiting governments and protective regulations. If implemented, this agreement will hard-code corporate dominance over sovereign governments into international law that will supersede any federal, state or local laws of any member country. This document alone should set alarm bells ringing, but if one steps back and looks at the larger picture, the future ramifications look even more ominous. After completing this reading, see what your conclusions are. And uh, so it's got a video with it, and so on and so on. But this is to do with corporate global governance. That's the new feudal state of affairs Cork quickly talked about, and it's been here for a long time, really. Your, your government, your government itself is a corporation, remember. And there's, there's different higher tiers of corporations in this world of corporations. So I'll put this up as well. And um, this article here is quite interesting. It says, the members of parliament have no idea how to meet the carbon target which they voted for. When readers asked their members of parliament to explain how the UK would cut CO2 emissions by 80%, the answers made worrying reading. And it goes through the different politicians who helped pass this and how they don't even understand any of it themselves. Uh, so it says the great global warming scare has long been dying on its feet, but the sad, that sad uh, fiasco of a conference from Rio last week saw it finally dead and buried. Again, very misleading. Don't believe it for a second. It's got a whole new bunch of stuff they've been working out over the years to get fully implemented yet. It's a control mechanism to control all of us. It's nothing to do with warming, folks. That was even said by a top MP in Parliament in Canada who said that even if all their, their scientific data is wrong, we can redistribute the, redistribute the wealth of the world to the rest of the world. Redistribution of wealth is a Marxian concept, ten planks of the manifesto for those who don't know it. And it's to control every single one of you down to the minute things that you do or purchase or buy and all the rest of it. So it's not a failure at all, and I'll put this link up for you to look through and you'll see how the ridiculous things about the politicians. Now, the politicians, they, they're told how to vote uh, about anything, by the way. Uh, and, um, and they do as they're told. That's what you do in politics. You're a member of the corporation. Remember, even your prime minister or president is a member of the corporation. Uh, but they're told how to vote because there's obviously somebody at the top who's the biggest shareholder and it's not the general public. That's how the world works. Now, getting back to the degradation in society... As they plummet the culture down to uh, the deepest levels of depravity, and I'm, I really mean that, not just in what you watch. You, people do emulate what they watch, of course. And this is an article here which proves it too. I've mentioned different kinds of um, problems in the past that people have had with pornography, even with the, the top uh, scientist of Canada, a psychiatrist, who was involved in, in treating those with all these different porn problems and strange sexuality. And he, he he had to leave himself because it was affecting his own life. You understand, you cannot put images in your brain uh, that way so easily because you think you're in charge, you're not in charge. And the images literally become fixed in your mind. They're imprinted on your mind. And it says here, Jamie, this little boy, is 13 years old, hasn't even kissed her girl, but now he's on the sex offender register after online porn warped his mind. This is happening to them all, actually. 
And it says, during a sleepover, a classmate offered to show him some funny pictures on the laptop. He said, at first I found it a bit scary and a bit yucky. He told me as he shifted uncomfortably on his chair during the therapy session. I don't know, I, I didn't know it was possible for people to do those sorts of things. And there were lots of nasty close-ups, but it gave me funny feelings and the pictures started to stick in my head. And they do stick in their heads, folks. For the next three years, while his parents assumed he was using his computer for his homework, he visited porn websites for up to two hours per night. Even when his school performance began to suffer, they had no idea of the murky world their shy, quiet son was inhabiting while upstairs in his bedroom. Well, well, it's not his real name. Jamie is typical of the young men I meet. He, says, he explained that the websites led me to other websites, and soon I was looking at even weirder stuff I could never have imagined. Animals, children, stabbing and strangling. You're like your average movie, actually, which they also give you the other, from the other side. I stopped leaving my room and seeing my friends because when I was away from the pornography, I was dying to get back and see what else I could find. It was only that when the police came knocking one morning that Jamie's secret life was exposed. Uh, After identifying that someone in the house was accessing child pornography, they took Jamie's laptop away for examination. He's only 13, hasn't kissed a girl, and he's never had sexual contact. Though he's only a child himself, the result is that he's been put on the sex offender register, blighting his life for the foreseeable future. Even with intensive therapy, uh, that won't work, it doesn't work. Jamie still suffers from deep shame, as if it is written across my forehead, which has led him to fear he will never be able to form a healthy relationship with a woman. And it told me a recent session, it still makes me think I might never have a proper girlfriend, because the pictures still come back to me sometimes. It makes me want to shout stop, but sometimes they still won't go away. These guys at the top, whether it's Hollywood, or the when Hollywood runs the porn industry as well, um, they know exactly what they're doing. This is an old art, again, of imprinting the brain. Imprinting. Even the ancients did that with pictures. They did. They flogged them, sold them along with their jewelry and everything else. In ancient times, they've found lots of these things. But it imprints in the brain. And you can use these techniques on societies to bring them down, which they did in ancient times as well. And this article here, too, it says, Is Obama creating a pro-gay Boy Scouts of America? And it's to do with Chuck Norris, of course, who exposes White House pal attacking group's century-old policy. Uh, He's upset and wondering what on earth is going on. He says that the Boy Scouts of America national board member, James Turley, who's also global chairman and CEO of of the accounting firm Ernst & Young, recently said he will work from within to seek a, a change to overturn the BSA policy that bans gay scouts and leaders. But is Turley working on his own initiative, or has the White House prodded him with perks and favours? And this article is, in, in, is basically to do with um, a whole bunch of things that tie together from Obama, uh, money, of course, uh, getting up the ladder to get this guy's mind changed and, and to get him to, be, to really push this agenda. And it's all pretty well listed here to all the conferences this particular man's been invited to uh, and, and as he does go up the ladder of the important people uh, tree, you know, basically. So I'll put that up tonight as well for those who are interested and don't yawn because it's so passe these days, isn't it? Members of Congress trade in companies while making laws that affect those same firms. This is 130 members of Congress. Other families have traded stocks collectively worth hundreds of millions of dollars in companies lobbying on bills that came before their committees, their own committees, a practice that is permitted under current ethics rules, a Washington Post analysis has found. Well, they changed the law recently to allow them to do insider trading just for themselves. 
The lawmakers bought and sold a total of between 85 million and 218 million dollars in two 323 companies registered to lobby on legislation that appeared before them, according to an examination of all 45,000 individual congressional stock transactions contained in computerized financial disclosures data from 2007 to 2010. Almost one in every eight trades. 5,531 intersected with legislation. The 130 lawmakers traded stocks or bonds in companies as bills passed through their committees or while Congress was still considering the legislation. The party affiliation of the lawmakers was almost evenly split between Democrats and Republicans, 68 to 62. It's all one organization, folks, and you are living in utter corruption, which is normal now. Corruption is quite normal. It's normalized now. You see, so that's okay. And also, I'll put up tonight again this other article exclusive. They're always keeping pushing the same thing because they prepare our minds for what they see as inevitable. They always prepare you to think it is inevitable. Secret EU summit document shows the first steps to the banking union. And it says a classified draft of next week's EU summit conclusions is a first step on an emerging roadmap to a banking union, pulling debt via eurobonds and political union via the EU treaty change over the next 10 years. So total integration of all countries, the, the abolition of all sovereignty or even nations to, for that matter, and the complete uh, overlording of it all through their central banking system, exactly as Carl quickly talked about all that time ago, because he read their their documents and their plans. He was all, he was part of the group and he was all for it, by the way. And this article two is to do with JP Morgan Chase and Co. Chief Executive Officer Jamie Demon uh, testifies in the U.S. House today. He will present himself as a champion of free market capitalism in opposition to an overweening government. His position would be more convincing if his bank weren't such a beneficiary of corporate welfare. To be precise, J.P. Morgan receives a government subsidy worth about $14 billion per year, according to research published by the International Monetary Fund and our own analysis of bank balance sheets. The money helps the bank pay big salaries and bonuses. More important, it distorts markets, fueling crises such as the recent subprime lending disaster and the sovereign debt debacle that is now threatening to destroy the euro and sink the global economy. Don't believe that for a second, folks, because they're never going to sink the euro. And the, and the global economy is just um, it's a conjuring trick to begin with. As a, it's a Ponzi scheme, as we know. Money itself is, is a, a con game. So uh, you're simply run by an agenda. But, uh, yeah, there's more corporate welfare goes on than all the stuff to do in any single nation to do with people's welfare. Corporate welfare comes first always, and that's the way it's always been. Always been. And... A little while back, I mentioned about our Dixon Comptroller. Comptroller is a person at the top of all the financing to do with a city, for instance. Um, All spending, all money coming in, that type of thing. She's in charge of all the different uh, people who deal with uh, economics and tax collections, etc. And this particular one had embezzled $50 million from the city of Dixon. Now, that's not a huge city. About 40-odd thousand people. So you can imagine how, do you understand if that's only 40-odd thousand people, how every city has, is at it the same damn game? I mean, nobody missed this. Well, you look at, your, look at the potholes and your roads and stuff. They're always claiming they're broke. But she scammed $50 million in her time. 
from one city and bought herself massive um, uh, racetracks and racehorses and everything. So that her name was Rita Crundwell. It says, yesterday prosecutors filed an amended complaint adding to the list of horses and other assets they wish to sell due to the expensive nature of caring for the horses while this trial is going on. The court has agreed to allow the sale of over 400 house, uh, horses as well as 21 embryos and 13 saddles. Right now the costs are falling on the U.S. Marshals and an intervening company who have been caring for the horses. Shouldn't they have another inquiry to say how come how come that people who are comp- uh, controllers can actually do this kind of thing? Because it was just, she got too greedy and took a large sum all at once, but she, you know, a bit too much, and that's how she was caught. Otherwise, she'd never been caught. They're all at it. Every city has two sets of books. Every city, two sets of books. You know? The, you see, you're, you're the slaves that, that feed the creatures that prey on you at the top. That's what this system is all about. And they're all at it across the world. We didn't know, for instance, that all these little towns and cities, even villages and councils were investing money in Iceland until it crashed. Nobody had heard of that. Nobody knew. There was, they had, what do you mean they're investing money? Every year they come back for more, say we ran it, but we used all the last year's money. But they up your taxes again. You, this is normalized corruption. It's been here for a long, long, long time. People don't know it. So anyway, she did awfully well for herself and just got a bit too greedy. She already had 30-odd million, uh, I think, when she was caught. And just went too far too quickly and too greedy. And, uh, you know, that's a lesson for all the rest of them. They're a bit wiser probably and won't get caught. I've mentioned many times about the far, it's everything so, so fast. It's, it's all Pavlovian uh, and it's done with banks for credit cards. They call them mouse traps. They have better mouse traps. That's how they compete with each other. And the same with loyalty cards to stores. Well, you see, they have been checking everything you've been buying for years and now you're going to get advice from them on your health, what not to buy from your government. I'll put that up to back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix. Also tonight, I've already put up a, a podcast and just to do, it's an updated version of the show that I did on April 30th about the case of Katerina Jaliva, the woman in Utah who had her son taken from her by the state and is in an ongoing court battle to have him returned to her. I recently interviewed Katerina to find out the latest developments on her as she prepares to go to court once again this Thursday. Uh, June 28th. So following, uh, I'll put the following audio uh, interview up. It's up tonight already, actually. You can go straight to it if you want. And I'm putting up um, on the website um, an updated letter from Katerina that gives more detailed background information on her case with appropriate phone numbers with the court, the people involved, and even the boss of her antagonist, who seems to have a personal battle with her, this guardian ad litem, Roder, uh, you should actually get in touch with the boss. I've got a feeling he's been connected before concerning this particular woman, who, who really is uh, the devil's advocate in a sense, and she really uh, goes after everybody as though there's some kind of murderer. So anyway, I'll put all this up, it's, uh, up as I say. I go straight to it tonight and you can listen to the interview I did with Katra uh, Jaleva to do with this coming 
Thursday's case. And remember, it's not much time, but you can certainly give her some support. Let her know that there's light being shone into the dark halls of the court systems because they're so used to getting away with it. And also different links to Utah's CPS or Child Protective Services because there's a lot of information on the corruption in the past and in present to do with them up there too. A lot of good links to do with false allegations and terrible cases of fostered histories. It's something else. But this is the time that we live in, really, where corruption rules the world. And parents, of course, are, as I say, they're contaminated with old-fashioned ideas. You must let the state bring them up, indoctrinate them with the new values to make sure they're completely dysfunctional so the state can keep control of them all through their lives with their special agencies and, and tests and questionnaires for their, right through their entire lives because they claimed a long ago that everyone was mentally ill, that, that, that didn't want world government. Just the same in communism, you get locked up in the old Stalinist regime. If you said that there was a problem with the communism that you were living under, the, that was liable, you were called a mentally ill for having that, that, that belief system. Same here, you see. So uh, they, they claim that everyone who's normal is mentally ill, and they'd rather have the state bring up the child, or they'll decide who the child is given to, but not the parents. And that's literally where we are. So look and listen at this particular podcast and all the links, and uh, and give her some support as to what's on your mind and how, how you can follow up too. Because the people who do this kind of thing are so used to having their own quiet star chambers and getting away with things like this. Uh, stealing children is now normal it would seem. And it's big business too. Big, big business stealing children because all these therapists are involved and for every child that comes in, they're guaranteed thousands of bucks each for seeing them maybe once a week for five minutes. Uh, and um, and so, are, of course, are the court systems. They get paid by the state even if the person can't afford it themselves. They get paid by it. They never lose. It's big, big, big business. Easy business too when there's no juries and there's no journalists in there taking track of things. It's, uh, it's human trafficking as far as I'm concerned. That's what it is. So give her her support and it's up on the website at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. From Hamish Marcel from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your gods go with you.